Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us here at TCC at Home. We're grateful that you're with us and excited to open up God's Word. If you are joining us for the first time, we would love for you to fill out a Connect card so that we can follow up with you this week to get to know you better. If if you're if you're joining us and you have a Bible, we'd love for you to, to get it out and open it up to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in the final, the second to last chapter, actually, of the Gospel of Luke. Luke, Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 56. They say that there are two things that are certain in life, uh, death and, and taxes. Now, the reality is we prepare for one of those two every year. Every year we prepare our taxes. We get them ready and, and we send them in. Uh, and the good news is, uh, if, uh, if you haven't heard, uh, we got an extension, uh, though our circumstances certainly aren't desirable to get that extension. You have until July now to file your taxes. But the, the reality is we're, we're not so good at preparing for the other certain thing. We're not so good at preparing for death. Uh, and perhaps more than ever, we need to be asking ourselves that question. Are we prepared for death? You know, I was really struck this week looking uh, at the news and watching the headlines. I saw out on the news from NBC that the White House is anticipating 100,000 to 240,000 deaths. Uh, our president said that it's going to be a very, very painful two weeks. Now, I'm in no way interested in fear-mongering, and I know that these are just projections, but these are sober projections. And, and ultimately, I know that the only death rate that matters, I don't know if you know this, but every one out of one people will die. Now, whether that's through a crazy accident, cancer, murder, or even a virus, we all will face death. Death will catch up with us all. And and I, I mean, I'm just going to level honest with you. If you're like me, you spend most of your time too busy to think about death. Uh, you, you don't really want to, to confront the reality of death. And, and in those rare moments where we slow down and death confronts us, maybe, maybe it's through the death of a loved one uh, or somebody that we know, uh, it sobers us up a bit, but then we, we move on. Uh, you know, in fact, it, in the midst of uh, quarantine life uh, over the last two weeks, I find myself towards the end of the day kind of scrolling through social media, uh, perhaps not the best habit to have, but I, I often uh, look for the funny tweets uh, or, or the funny messages that I can share, whether with my, my wife or, or with my family, the thing that, that just kind of makes you laugh a little bit. You know, I think a lot of us treat death like that. Uh, we're, we're just trying to do anything we can not to put our minds on the subject. Uh, we look for ways to distract ourselves and to turn away from the reality of death. Uh, but I, I want you to know that Christianity doesn't do that. Christianity doesn't encourage us to suppress the reality of death. It doesn't tell us that death isn't a big deal and we don't need to, to think about it. And instead, it levels honest with us and, and, and it tackles death head on. In fact, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, uh, to, it's almost a request to, to God to teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And God's telling us it's not wise to put off thinking about death. It, it's actually foolish to, to deny the reality of death or, or to think as we so often do today that we can prolong our death inevitably. Um, we are called to, to face up to the reality of death. And in fact, as Christians, we're entering into a week, a holy week that's defined by death the death of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate this week and anticipate alongside 
the resurrection. In fact, I, I want to take a minute even here at this point in the message to encourage you to join us uh, this Friday at 8 p.m. Uh, for our Good Friday online service where we'll have an opportunity to hear from God's Word and to worship and to reflect on the death of Christ together. And then next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we'll be back here uh, for TCC at home to, to celebrate and to worship our resurrected Savior. But today I want us to consider the death of Christ, but specifically to consider the death of Christ and to think about how it helps us to face our own fear of death. I, I know that all of us have some sense uh, or feeling of a fear of death, especially our own. But, but I want us to consider today how the death of Christ helps us to prepare to face death, even our own. It sounds peachy, right? I know that it may feel like maybe a little bit of a bummer to talk about death. Maybe you could accuse me of being a little morbid. But I feel like it's the right question for us to ask in this moment. Are we prepared for death? And how does the death of Christ help us to prepare for our own death? We're going to be in Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 56. And in these verses, we're going to see the death of Christ. We're going to see Jesus led to a place called the place of the skull, Golgotha, as it's commonly referred to. And there at that place, we're going to see Jesus put up on a cross between two criminals. And Jesus is going to die on the cross and breathe his last breath. And then they're going to take his body and they're going to lay it in a tomb. And that's the end of Good Friday. But in this passage, as we look at the death of Jesus, I want us to think about how it helps us to respond to death and, and to consider our own fear of death. Look at verse 26 with me. It says, As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the womb that never bore and the breast that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? See, the first thing that we see about the death of Jesus, about the cross, is that the cross calls us to repentance. Here at the beginning of our passage, we see it begin in an interesting way. We see a man named Simon, the Cyrene, who is, who is commanded to help Jesus carry the crossbeam to the place of his crucifixion. We don't know a lot about this man, but we do know that Jesus was likely very weak, having been beaten and scourged by Pilate. Uh, most likely having lost a significant amount of blood already, uh, he was weak and weary. And the Roman soldier seeing this, not, I'm sure, out of compassion, but out of a desire to hurry up and get the act over with, they demand this one man, Simon, who's coming from the country into Jerusalem, and they say, you carry the cross. And so they laid the cross beam on him. Most likely it's that, that horizontal piece of the cross that he would be carrying, that they would take to the place of crucifixion and, and put that cross beam to the vertical pole that would have remained there. And it says that Simon carries this cross. And in the Gospel of Mark, we see that Simon was the father of two well-known believers in the church, one named Rufus and one named Alexander. 
Um, and while, while there's not a whole lot we can say about him, we, we can say that Simon, in a way, becomes a, a picture, really, uh, of what discipleship is all about. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples and really to the crowds. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here's Simon doing exactly what Jesus said, carrying literally the cross of Jesus to the place of his crucifixion. But there are other people that are there with Jesus as well. And it says in particular that there was a great multitude of people and of women who were there and they were mourning and lamenting for Jesus. You see, while Jesus had been uh, condemned and, and the, the religious leaders of the day and some people that they gathered together, a mob of sorts, were, were demanding that Jesus be crucified. There were many in Jerusalem who, who hailed his coming, who, who rejoiced to see him. They laid palm branches uh, on, the, on the ground as Jesus came into Jerusalem on, on this, the very Palm Sunday that we celebrate. They, they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. They were anticipating what Jesus would do and why he had come. And, and here they are lamenting that he's being led to be crucified. Crucified as a criminal when it seems so obvious that, that he was innocent. I want to take a minute here to, to address something that I think is very real as we, we think about death, and that's grieving. You know, I, I think as, as we think about death, whether someone we love or, or perhaps even uh, our own death, I, I don't know how long you've lived and how much pain you've walked through, but the longer you live, the, the reality is the more pain that's going to come, the more death that you're going to face. And when you face death, you should grieve. Uh, here, Jesus isn't instructing us on, on how to grieve, but, uh, but I want to pause to just acknowledge that Christianity doesn't teach that you need to stick your chin out and just endure pain and suffering. It, it doesn't tell us that, uh, you know, uh, that you shouldn't grieve. You should just accept it and move on. I want you to know that Jesus stared straight in the face of death. And you know what he did? When his friend Lazarus, when his friend Lazarus died... Jesus looked straight in the face of death, and he cried. He wept. Death isn't the way it's supposed to be. Death robs us of so much. Death is indeed an enemy and comes to, to take from us. Friends, we, we shouldn't act as if death isn't a big deal. We shouldn't suppress the reality of death and think that with enough time, the pain will just go away. I had a friend once who lost her husband, and when she described life after losing her husband, she said, life isn't terrible. It does go on. There are joys that come, and there are normal rhythms that are reestablished. But she said, while life isn't terrible, it's a little less sweet. We should grieve when we face pain and sorrow. We should grieve in the face of death. We should weep with those who weep. We, we should come alongside those who grieve as they walk through the, the aftermath of death. And, and, and friends, the reality is there will be so many around us, if not among us, who, who have to face this reality of people that they know who have been affected, whether it be by this virus or, or when this virus is long gone, the reality of death will remain. And Jesus teaches us that we can grieve, but we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. God sustains us and upholds us. And those who trust in Him have a hope that can't be shattered and that can't be taken away even in the face of death. Yes, we weep. Yes, there are tears. But we, we weep and we grieve as those who have hope. And that hope is rooted 
and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So while Jesus isn't instructing us here about how to grieve, I want to pause just long enough to, to help us to understand how we should indeed grieve when we face death. Here Jesus is doing something much more serious. Here he's giving a warning, actually. He's giving a warning to those in Jerusalem. And by extension, really, he's giving a warning to all of us. To all of us who have yet to, to trust in him. He, he turns to the crowd, and especially to these women who had been following him, who had really followed him all throughout his ministry. And he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Jesus is ultimately saying, judgment day is coming. The days are coming, he says when you would rather experience physical death than face the judgment of God. Did you, did you see what he said? It, it would be better for you not to have children, to have to protect them and explain them about what's to come. You'll be asking the mountains to fall on you and the hills to, to cover you up. You would rather die a physical death than to experience the judgment that will come on that day. Jesus is saying, I don't want your sympathy. I want your repentance. Repentance is what the death of Christ calls us to. The death of Christ reminds us of our guilt and calls us to repentance. Have you ever gotten to the end of your day and, and felt like you didn't get everything accomplished? I, I'm sure that's probably most of us. But perhaps even deeper than that, have you ever gotten to the end of the, your day and, and regretted that you were harsh, perhaps with your, your spouse or your kids? Maybe you didn't handle that situation the way that you wanted to. Your anger got the best of you. You gave in to that temptation again. Have you ever had that feeling as you lay your head down at night and you know that sense of guilt is, is there and you didn't do what you should have done? Well, see, death is like that, but it strips away all of our defenses. There's, there's no more layers that we can build up that protect us from facing God. At, at death, we, we feel a regret. We feel a regret for all the things left undone and the things that we did that we wish we wouldn't have done. And, and we have that nagging sense of guilt where our conscience condemns us and tells us that, that we're, we're guilty. And deep down, I, I, I don't think it matters what you ultimately think about God or religion or, or any of those other things, deep down when, you, when you're at the end and you have the ability to think about it, there's that sense that I have to give an account. There's this sense that there is a creator who made me that I have to give an account to that deserves my worship and my obedience. So how do you prepare for death? You prepare for death by being right with God. To be right with God means to, to first see yourself rightly before God as one who, who needs God and who is guilty of sin. And here Jesus says, I don't want your sympathy. I don't want you just to look at me and think, oh, that's, that's inspiring that you died on the cross. I want you to see your guilt and know that I'm calling you to repentance. There's something worse than physical death. And that's facing God without repentance and without forgiveness that's found in Christ. That's what Jesus is warning here. The one we must give an account to, though, get this, the one we must give an account to is also the very one who can forgive us. See, the cross not only calls us to repentance, but we see in verses 32 through 38 that the cross holds out forgiveness. The, the death of Christ holds out to us Forgiveness not only calls us to repentance, but, but holds out forgiveness. It says that two others who were criminals were led away and put to death with him. But we'll come back to those criminals in a minute. Here it says that they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha, and there they crucified him. 
with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And here we see some of Jesus' words on the cross. When we put together all of Jesus' words uh, from the Gospels, his last words, we have seven sayings on the cross. And here is one of them. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And there as he's offering forgiveness, the soldiers are casting lots, dividing his garments below the cross. And the, the people stood by scoffing at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked, commanding and offering sour wine, saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there above him was the inscription, king of the Jews. You see, Jesus was facing what Cicero, the Roman historian, called the most cruel and horrifying punishment. And as he faced that most horrifying punishment on the cross, we see Jesus in the fullness of who he is and his innocent put on, innocence put on display. The, the innocent one is hanging between two criminals. The innocent one is being accused and mocked by the leaders and, and the soldiers. And it's there on that cross that forgiveness is found. You see, we see on the cross Jesus is speaking over, over the soldiers and the, the Jewish leaders who had condemned him and put him on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, to be forgiven means that you're guilty. And here Jesus says that they're guilty of, of ignoring who Jesus is, of being ignorant of who he is and what he came to do. He's not saying that, that they get a pass because they didn't know. In fact, what he's really saying is they should have known, but they remained ignorant. Jesus had revealed who He was. He had taught about who He was and, and shown why He had come. But they condemned Him anyway. They put Him on the cross anyway. They refused to believe. They chose to be ignorant. And yet Jesus still hold out, holds out forgiveness for them. And, and here we get the, the, the really the, the irony of the cross. As Jesus hangs on the cross, they say, if you, if you really are the King of the Jews, come down and save yourself. Save yourself because you say that you're the chosen one. But here's the irony. It's precisely because Jesus didn't save himself that he's able to save us. Because Jesus didn't get off the cross, he's able to hold out forgiveness to you and me. He's the one who could judge and condemn us, but he willingly was condemned on the cross for us. This is where forgiveness is found. This is exactly what Jesus did. He laid down His life so that we might have life in Him. He didn't save Himself so that He might save us. Tim, Tim Keller in a little book called On Death that was released last year talks about one of the reasons we struggle with death. Now, is that because we, we really don't have the vocabulary anymore to address death. We, we don't often use in our modern uh, context the, the, the categories of sin and repentance and guilt and forgiveness. In fact, he points to the philosopher Nietzsche who believed that, that really guilt uh, came from the idea of a transcendent God or gods to whom we, we owed our obedience. And if we got rid of that sense of God, if we got rid of religion, then the sense of guilt would go away and that we would almost have a, a new innocence. But, but the reality is, uh, even as secularism and, and even atheism has, has grown, that sense of guilt hasn't gone away for us. That sense of guilt still remains. 
It hasn't played out the way that Nietzsche thought. But instead, what we have now is we have apparent evil and wrongdoing, but we don't have the language and the intellectual resources to address it and to deal with it. But Christianity offers us those resources. I just want you to think, if you've ever wronged someone, if you've ever wronged somebody that you love, you know that sense of desiring to be made right with them. You, you know what it means to, to want that relationship restored. You know how lousy it feels when you're at odds with somebody that you love, when you've offended them. You want anything to make it right. Reconciliation, though, requires that there's forgiveness. For the relationship to be reconciled, the, the offense has to be forgiven. And if the offense is to be forgiven, somebody has to bear the weight of that offense. Friends, this is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He bore the cost of our offense so that He might forgive us, so that He might reconcile and restore us to a relationship with Him as we were created and meant to enjoy from the beginning. He bore the cost of our offense so that we might enjoy forgiveness and experience fellowship with Him. The death of Christ calls us to repentance, but the death of Christ also holds out Forgiveness. And if we're going to face death, we're going to need to face up to the reality of who we are before God and to be sure that we're right with Him, forgiven and in fellowship with Him. Are you ready? Are you ready to face death? Are you ready to give an account before God? I, I, I want to dismiss the idea that, that it's so easy for us to bring that God is this God that's up in the sky that's angry and thro throwing thunderbolts down and, um, and we need to be terrified of Him. Oh, it's, it's not that you need to be terrified of Him because He's going to throw uh, lightning bolts. We need to be rightly terrified of standing before Him without repentance, without forgiveness, apart from Christ, but in Christ we can have full confidence to face Him. The cross, the death of Christ, calls for our repentance and it holds out forgiveness, but, but it goes on and we see that the, the death of Christ holds out hope. The death of Christ holds out hope to us. It says in verse 39, one of the criminals who, who, was, hanged, who was there on the cross beside Him railed at Him. It says that He said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But there was another criminal and here Luke tells us of this other interaction with this criminal, and it says, but the other criminal rebuked the other criminal, the, the fellow criminal with him on the cross, saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation as I am, we indeed are on the cross justly, for we are receiving the due rewards for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Here, here we have really an example in some ways of two different ways to, to approach death. Here one criminal is, is going to the cross railing at God. Just saying, save yourself or save us. Angry at the reality of death. No doubt afraid and, and demanding that, that Jesus who claims to be the, the Savior, the King of the Jews and, and the, the Savior of the world, save us and save yourself, He says. But no room for repentance. No, no calling out for forgiveness. Pride. Demanding God be a certain way and do things a certain way. But here the other criminal doesn't get sucked up into the mockery. Instead he understands his own guilt. 
He knows that he's guilty. He knows that he's in the wrong. One of these men isn't like the other two. And listen, listen to his response after he rebukes him or his request. He turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus offers a promise that is full of hope. He says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. See, our hope is that the cross is telling us that God is ready to receive us. It's through the death of Christ that God is, is able to accept us, that we will be with Him. What hope is there in that? That, that we will be with Him. He will be with us. He says that you'll be with me in paradise. Literally a reference to a garden. Perhaps the Garden of Eden. But really it came to be understood paradise as the, the final, uh, the resting place of the righteous after death. But Jesus' point isn't so much about the, the environment of paradise, but about His presence with us in paradise. This is our hope. Jesus dies on the cross not as a prophet or a teacher, Jesus is not dying on the cross as a, a mere example to us. Jesus is dying on the cross as our Savior. And if we call out to Him and ask Him to receive us and accept us, it's through His death that Jesus can say, truly today I'll receive you. Truly today I'll accept you and you'll be mine. If you're in Christ, death doesn't have to be an enemy. If you're in Christ, when you die, death isn't the final word. In fact, through faith in Christ, it's not death to die. Jesus said, all who believe in me, even though they die, they will live forever, forever with me. As I've been watching the news this week, much has been made about just the, the heart-wrenching stories of, of loved ones dying apart from their family, apart from, from, from those who know them best. In fact, CNN put out a title this uh, article this week entitled Coronavirus Preys on What Terrifies Us Most, Dying Alone. In fact, I just listened to an interview of, of one widow who was there in the moment that her husband died with him, not in his presence, but on FaceTime as, as, as he took his last breath. It's honestly, I mean, as I listen to the stories, I just have tears in my eye and the thought of dying apart from those that I love most is, is truly, truly a terrifying thing. Uh, I, I'm so thankful for nurses and doctors who, and even uh, those who work in nursing homes who are the ones that are there in the presence of these people who are dying. The heartache is real and no doubt we've, we've talked about how we should grieve. But there's hope. As I studied this passage, I, I thought about um, perhaps the, the most difficult experience I've ever walked through in my life. It was about six years ago in March of 2013. Emily and I just found out we were having a little girl. We had been pregnant for um, just, uh, just a little over uh, a few weeks, about, I guess, 20 weeks is when you find out. Um, and we found out we were having a little girl, our daughter, Amelia. And after coming out of the ultrasound and, and finding out the news, being so excited, we called our family members and, and told them the news. I called my dad, and my dad didn't answer, but I left him a voicemail telling him to, to call me back so I could tell him some exciting news. And the week went on, and I didn't hear back from my dad. And, um, you know, as I look back, I don't know if it was busier than normal, but um, I never heard back, and I never got a chance to call. 
But later, towards the end of the week, I got a call from the police department in the town that my dad lived telling me that my dad had died. My dad had died alone of a respiratory attack in his home a few days before. And the neighbor was suspicious, hadn't seen him in a while, came to check on him and had no response and called the police. And sure enough, he was found dead in his home. And if I'm honest, to, to this day, I wrestle with that reality that my dad died alone, uh, that I wasn't there. I, I didn't even know. But <clears throat> a few years before my dad passed away, we walked through another difficult experience. My dad had gotten a divorce from my stepmother and had moved into a new place. And at that time, I actually moved in with my best friend's family who would later adopt me. But um, I finally convinced my dad to go to church with me. I think my dad had only gone to, to one other church service with me, a Christmas service, but this was um, in the summer, and my dad uh, accepted my invitation uh, to go to church. And <clears throat> I remember being so excited. I picked him up, and we went to church, and uh, the guest speaker that night who was preaching, it was kind of a, an event uh, where we were encouraged to bring friends and family. Um, he laid out the simple message of the gospel that we were made for God, made by God, made to worship and, and live in fellowship with God. But we, we have sinned. We've gone our own way. and We've turned away from God. We deserve God's judgment. We, we deserve to be separated from God. But God doesn't leave us uh, in our sin. He doesn't leave us under judgment and condemnation. But he sent Jesus uh, to, to come and to, to live a perfect life and to, to die a sacrificial death in our place and to, to rise victoriously from the dead. And that night, that preacher invited anyone who would want to turn from their sin and trust in Christ to do so. And my dad, my dad said, I want to follow Christ. I'll never forget getting to counsel with him and, and to talk to him about what it meant to put his trust and his faith in Jesus. And as I, I always would go back and think about those last moments before my dad, my dad passed away, I was reminded as I was away at college, I really hadn't lived at home since I went to college, I would often pray for my dad. And I would pray, I would pray a prayer like this. I would say to, say, say to the Lord, God, I, I pray that you would be with my dad. I pray that you would help him to know your presence. God, help him to know that he's not alone and that you're there with him. I, I can't tell you how many times I prayed that prayer and thought about my dad. Wished that I could be there, but knew that God was there. And that God could be there with him and would comfort him. That he was in God's presence. And as I th thought about my dad's death, and I thought about that prayer, I realized that that prayer is now more true than it ever was before. My dad, just like the criminal on this cross beside Jesus, called out to Jesus and said, Save me. And because of the death of Christ... God says, come in, welcome, you're mine, you'll be with me forever. That's, that's the hope of the cross, that Jesus takes our sin and our judgment so that we can be with Him forever. Friend, I want you to know that if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, that death is the most terrifying enemy. But once you put your hope in Jesus and your faith in Him and you trust in Him alone as your Savior... You don't have to fear death. You don't have to ever fear dying alone because Jesus is with you now and He will be with you forever. And believer, rest in this truth. Rest in the truth that Jesus is with us now and will be with us forever. We don't have to fear. 
The death of Christ holds out hope to us. Let me just ask you, where is your hope when you think about death? Where is your hope when those thoughts come into your mind? Where is your hope when the sense of guilt weighs heavy? There's hope in the cross. There's hope in the death of Christ. If we'll but come to Jesus and call out to Him. The death of Christ not only holds out hope, but we we finally see here in the end, in verses 44 through 49, that the death of Jesus is enough. The cross is enough. In verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn into two. And then Jesus called out with a loud voice, saying, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Here is the final hours of Jesus on the cross from about 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. It says that darkness covered the earth. No no, uh, details about exactly what this was. It most likely wasn't uh, some type of solar eclipse, but a a darkness that came upon the earth, whether it's the clouds that roll in or um, the experience of darkness is is pointing us to the the sense of God's judgment bearing down upon Jesus in our place. And, And there it says, not only is there darkness, but the curtain temple was torn in two. Most likely this curtain temple torn into two that that allowed access for those who are outside of Israel to come in and have access to God. It's all symbolic and pointing us to what Jesus' death on the cross is accomplishing. Jesus had, had constantly said in His ministry that the temple and the sacrificial system pointed to Him. He was the once and for all sacrifice for sin. And He, not the temple, was the place where we have access to the presence of God. So through His death, salvation is opening up to all people who would turn from their sin and believe. And after this is accomplished, it says that Jesus cries out, says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Here's Jesus' final cry, a cry of total commitment and, and complete peace, a surrender, an accomplishment of the work that he had come to do. The work of the cross was finished. In fact, it's in the Gospel of John that Jesus' words, he cries out, It is finished. It's on the cross that Jesus finishes the work of our redemption, finishes the work of pain for the the payment of our sin. There was no more judgment. The, The cup of God's wrath that Jesus prayed about in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was emptied. Not one drop was left. Jesus drank the cup empty. The judgment of God in full. The cross was enough. Jesus came and completed the work of our redemption on the cross. It's a reminder to us that there's nothing we can add. There's nothing you can add. If you you perhaps are thinking, maybe I get what Jesus did. Now, in light of what He's done, I need to do my best for Him. No doubt that knowing Jesus motivates us to live a life for Him. But friend, understand it's not what Jesus has done and then the best that you can do. It's all of what Jesus has done. That is your hope and that is enough. The cross is enough and Jesus goes and completes the work of redemption on our behalf. And then He breathed His last. 
See, Christianity doesn't, doesn't bring a message of do this and do that, and if you do enough, then God will be, be pleased with you. No, the, the message of Christianity is that Jesus has done enough. Jesus has finished the work. The message is done through the cross of Christ. Not do more and hope that it's enough. The cross is enough. And here Jesus breathes his last and is dead. And as I come to this passage, I just want to take one moment before we close to, to ask a question that I think inevitably is pressing on, on most of our minds, whether you're, uh, you would consider yourself a Christian or, 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 or maybe you wouldn't. The question that rings in our hearts and our minds is what happens when we die? What, what happens to us? What happens to Jesus when he dies? In our modern context, reality is we're not acquainted with death. It's likely that you would live your whole life and not see somebody actually die. Because of modern science and the different um, advancements we have, we, we often, people die out of sight. Um, and then we go to the funeral and we, we maybe see them there in their casket, but we don't see a person take their last breaths. And so it, it brings up what happens to us when we die. Well, Christianity teaches that human beings have both a material aspect and an immaterial aspect. We're both body and soul, both physical and immaterial. The Bible teaches both are good. Both are created by God. Both are fallen and both need redemption. We don't have a platonic dualism where the soul is good, but the body is somehow corrupted. And so it really doesn't matter what we do with our body, live it up or don't, but it's really what's internal that matters. That's not what Christianity teaches. And instead, it, it teaches us that our, our, both our body and our soul are created by God and good in their original design. And though um, tainted by sin and, and our fallen nature are in need of redemption. And so here we, here we unpack what happens to us at death. We know from the, the whole counsel of God's word that at death our bodies are separated from our souls. And our souls are translated either into the presence of God in heaven or away from God, the presence of God in hell. The Bible teaches that to be away from the body if you're a believer is to be at home with the Lord. And we know from Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 16 with the rich man and Lazarus that to, to die apart from Christ is to automatically be separated from the presence of God without ability to cross from one to the other. And so our bodies are separated from our souls at death, either translated into the presence of God in heaven, just like Jesus said to the criminal on the cross, or translated into away from the presence of God in hell. And then after death, our bodies go into the ground and return to the dust. And it's at the second coming of Jesus that the Bible teaches that our, our souls will be reunited with resurrected bodies, both those who have trusted in Christ as those who have rejected Him. In fact, in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Jesus says that there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. We will have an embodied eternal reality, either in a new heavens and a new earth, or in a real place called hell. For all eternity will exist fully embodied, either with God in a renewed creation or apart from God in eternal judgment. Here's, here's what the Bible teaches about what happens to us after we die. And if you believe that the cross was enough to pay the price of your sins, you can face death with confidence. That the moment of your death is the moment that you're in the presence of God. That's the, the confidence and the hope we have. But if you don't trust in Christ, then death is the most unwelcome enemy. 
that strips everything away from you, that leaves you with nothing except to face God's judgment. The message here in Luke chapter 23 is that the cross is enough. But while the cross is enough, the cross isn't the end of the story. Here in verses 50 through 56, we see that Jesus, uh, some of his closest followers come and they take him down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. We see a a man, Joseph of Arimathea, who who was among the council but who had disagreed with them putting him to death. He comes and takes him down and takes him to a tomb that he had access to. And the the women who had followed him came and took his body and prepared it for burial. And there they laid him to death in the tomb. Now, I want you to know that Jesus here is not just kind of partially dead. He's all dead. If uh, if you've watched Princess Diaries, you know Miracle Max, the wizard. He's not partially dead. He's he's all dead. Miracle Max said to be mostly dead is to be mostly alive. But if someone is all dead, Miracle Max said, then there's only one thing you can do. Search their clothes and take any spare change they have. That's That's not what is happening here. Jesus is all dead. But he's soon going to be fully alive. I don't mean to to spoil next week, but the tomb won't hold Jesus. He's laid to rest in the tomb, but three days later he will rise. Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures, and he was buried. And then three days later, according to the scriptures, he rose. The cross is enough, but it's not the end. Jesus rises victorious from the dead. And because he rose victorious from the dead, all that he accomplished on the cross is sufficient. Charles Spurgeon said, To be prepared to die is to be prepared to live. Friends, death is constantly before us today. We we don't need to think about death just because of this virus. We need to think about death because God told us to number our days. Death will find all of us one way or the other. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to to face the death of others around you? Are you prepared to face your own death? The death of Christ holds out to us the message that can help us prepare to die. And to prepare to die is indeed to to prepare to live. Look, what we need now is not strategies for how to school our kids or adjust to work at home. It's, it's not about how to make money if we've lost a job or, or to know when this is all going to end or, or even to know when a virus is going to be found. What we need more than ever and what this virus has revealed to us is that we all need to face death, square in the face, and prepare ourselves to die because it's only then that we can truly live It's only in the death of Christ that we can find life in Christ. As I thought about Jesus' death and I thought about, frankly, my own fear of death and and the pain of watching people that I've loved close to me die, I was taken back to the graveside service of my dad. One of my best friends preached the graveside service and, and I will, for always, will always remember the, the passage that he read from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. There in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, we see why we don't have to fear death. I, I want us to, to close with this. 
Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Since therefore the children, speaking of humanity, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same thing. He took on flesh, the author of Hebrews says, that through death, his death on the cross, he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It's through the death of Christ that Jesus put to death our fear of death. We don't have to fear death because Jesus died in our place and for our sin. In Jesus Christ, you will never die alone. And when you die, you will live forever. What hope there is in that? What hope there is to help us to endure a difficult circumstance? What hope there is for us to hold out that message to those around us? That it is not death to die when you know Jesus Christ. That you'll never die alone if you call Jesus your Savior. Believer, I want you to rest in this. Let our weary hearts rest in the death of Christ. And if you don't know Him, the death of Christ is holding out to you forgiveness. If you'll turn from your sin and trust in Him, would you do it today? Call out to Him, acknowledge your sin, and, and confess that you believe that He died in your place for your sin and rose from the dead. Ask Him to be the King over your life and to surrender your life to Him. Let us know if that's what you've done today. Talk to a friend so that we can help you and what it means to follow Jesus. This is the best thing that you'll ever do. And believer, can, can I remind you that as you go about your day, as you face the, the fears unknown and, and the fears that are still to come, that this is the truth that we can take to the bank. That in Christ, it is not death to die. And that in Christ, we'll never be alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the truth and the hope that's found in the death of Christ. God, thank you that it calls us to die to self and to, to run to you to find forgiveness of our sins. And, and there we have fellowship with you, that we have the promise that you're with us now and that you'll be with us forever. God, perhaps we, we need help to grieve right now. God, we, we hear and we see death being reported all around us. I think of some in the healthcare industry who are facing death every day. Oh God, would your everlasting arms wrap them up and remind them that you're with them? God, perhaps we'll face it in our future soon, or, or we know that we'll face death at some point. God, would you help us to be prepared, not by doing more, but by trusting in what you've done. Would you help us as believers to rest and to find our hope in the death of Christ in our place and for our sin? Lord, there's a lot that we don't know. And there's a lot that we can be afraid of. But thank you that we don't have to be afraid of death because you died on the cross. You saved us by choosing not to save yourself. God, help that in this moment right now to to enable us to respond in wholehearted worship to you, not just in this moment, but in this week, God. May we live for you because you died for us. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen.